were drawn to this place we call our home for its rich soil and gold. Today, the Bay Area has come to be rich in diversity, technology, and wealth-making in one of the largest urban centers and tech capital in the world. Yet there exists a deep vacuum in the hearts of 8 million people who are haunted, trying to find a meaningful narrative. Who, desperate for meaning, worship at the altar of career, or money, or success, or progress. There are thousands of places where men and women go to find meaning, find fulfillment, find life. They will not find it. Because meaning and fulfillment and life are not found in money, or sport, or career, or fame, or technology, or innovation. As wonderful as these things are, they cannot change a human heart. Only Jesus can. Only the Holy Spirit, only God the Father can do that. Who will tell them? Who will tell the people of this great city about the hope of the gospel? Paul said, we are Christ's ambassadors. It is as though God himself were making his appeal through us. God is making his appeal through us? You and I? But what can you and I do? I mean, really? Do we forget that Jesus said that the tiniest seed, the mustard seed, contains a plant that will overtake everything. What if God has been preparing you and me to be that small seed of faith? What if he's planted you, the brilliant entrepreneur, to seek more than greed and green, but to seek common good? What if he's planted the educator to change more than test scores, but change young lives? What if he's planted you, the government official who wants to put the servant and the public back in public service? And what if God has been preparing this great area to receive that seed? This valley is fertile, don't you know? Let us take this gospel out. Jesus has come to us. Let us take Jesus to the people. We are not done. God is not done. Oh, no. He's just getting started. What if it's true? What if God is just getting started? And as great as this area has been and renowned as it's been for the last multiple decades, what if the best things in the heavenly realms and the Spirit of God are going to be happening in the coming weeks and months and years? Some of us, a lot of us, believe that. And uh, churches are coming together around that, asking God, and we're calling them uh, these, this gathering uh, TBC, Transforming the Bay with Christ. That's what that video is from. We'll see it every Sunday in January because it aligns with our vision and where God's leading us as a church for the next decade. I'm so excited. I'm excited to be with you. My name is Gary. I've been on staff here. I've been around only 20 years, not 50 like the McNichols, but I promised him I'll come visit you in Santa Barbara um, they're great people. Let me pray for us, and we're going to dive in. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you for the vision and just a perspective, a realignment. Thank you that we sit in this gathering as mustard seed, small and tiny, that's great in your hands when infused by your power. So I pray now as we dig into Acts 11, as we see what you've been um, doing in this body for over 50 years, for well over 50, 65 years, and what you want to do in the future, uh, would you give us fertile soil for the seed to be planted and rich, rich surrender? We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Everyone said? 
Amen. You have message notes, please grab them and we're digging. Or you can open your phones to the YouVersion app and pull up these message notes in the Bible in the YouVersion app. Uh, Will Willimon, who's the dean of the chapel of Duke University, he received a call one day from a very upset parent. The father was actually livid because his graduate school-bound daughter, a Duke graduate from the School of Engineering, had come home and informed him that she is postponing her education plans to go dig ditches in Haiti. This didn't meet well with the dad, so he called the dean of the chapel. It's absurd, he shouted. A degree in mechanical engineering from the Duke University, and she's going to dig ditches in Haiti? Willimon responded this way, well, I doubt she's received much training from the engineering department for that kind of work, but she'll be a fast learner, and she'll get the hang of dig, ditch digging pretty soon. Look, the father said, this is no laughing matter. I hold you personally responsible for this choice of my daughter. There was a long pregnant pause, and Dr. Willimon finally said, sir, with all due respect, you were the one who got the ball rolling. You are the one who introduced your daughter to the Lord Jesus Christ, not me. To which the father responded meekly, but all we ever wanted for her to be was just a good Christian. Uh, the mass, vast majority of people, including myself, tend to opt for good over extreme. We tend to opt for comfort over sacrifice every time. I love comfort. We just got this year a programmable thermostat in our home so I don't ever have to return to a cold home. I can actually set it here and it'll be warm by the time I get home. I love comfort that much. I'll only sleep in cotton sheets. I love comfort that much. Down pillows. Knit caps. My head gets so cold on days like today. Some of you have insulation. I don't. I love knit caps. I have seat warmers in my car. I love comfort that much. Listen, comfort has its place, but comfort doesn't change the world. It just doesn't. In 1951, in a Burlingame living room, 22 followers of Jesus met and came to God with a very uncomfortable ask. They had no professional clergy. There was no buildings. There was no defined strategy, just faith that the peninsula needed a different kind of church on its grounds. A church which had in its DNA from the start a vision to go to where the people are, not just to open doors and let people come to them. From the start in 1951, with these 22 people was a dream that we would allow a church that drew people out of their comfort zones because they knew that's where people's lives were changed. And it's changed all our lives. At some point, it got uncomfortable in that living room. And they had to make the uncomfortable move all the way down to the peninsula to the corner of Jefferson and Clinton, which is now the Church of Happy Science. I have no idea what that is. But that was PCC's first building. And then at some point, this property came up for sale. You ready for this? For $125,000. But it was a lot of money back then. And it would take this small group of people out of their comfort zone to trust God for this property. Aren't you glad they were moved out of their comfort zone? And then they built that building over there. And then the time came for this building because they got uncomfortable. Too many people were coming. And so they trusted God. And you know what some people did? 
uncomfortably took out second mortgages to donate so that we could have this. And then when this was being built, guess what? Four more acres came up across the ravine. It was a swim and tennis club that was going bankrupt. And someone made the uncomfortable comment, maybe we should go buy that too. But we've given so much, maybe we can give more. And today we're standing on the shoulders of a history of people who didn't let comfort stop their obedience. And with a firm conviction, uh, we believe, the leadership of this church, and it's been this case for about two years, that it's time for a renewed sense of that living room passion and vision. And we need to bring back a big ask once again. So we're spending the whole month of January talking about that. We unleashed a vision last week, which is to infuse the hope of Christ in the most influential region of the world. That's our vision. That's what we believe God wants us to exist for and a lot of other churches with that TBC logo. But we're spending the remaining three weeks, today, next week, and the week following, talking about how we're going to do that together. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to invite you to go into living rooms. Everyone here, you don't have to be a member, we're going to invite each one of you to go back into living rooms and to hear in detail the vision for our strategy for the next decade. And you know what we're going to do? Around the end of March, early April, we're going to gather together. But there's too many of us to gather in this building. So we're trusting God, and God opened the doors, and I'll tell you more about it in the coming weeks. We're going to gather downtown, and we're going to celebrate together this vision. And those of us who are are going to come forward as stakeholders saying, we're all in, and we're going to pray, and we're going to worship, and we're going to ask God for audacious things. I can't wait. I can't wait. Our primer for this vision is the Antioch Church in Acts chapter 11. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 11, and let's dig into this passage. We're going to read verse 19 to 23. Acts 11, 19 to 23. I have to make some edits on page 1. That's my bad. Uh, the text verse there is Acts 11:23. It's our key verse. It's right under our mission. Acts 11:23. it should say. And then the words qualitative and quantitative, those should be flopped. The first heading is quantitative. The second one's qualitative. That'll make sense in a little bit. Are you there? Acts 11? Everyone there? Okay. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia. So this is Israel. We looked at this last week. We're going to be in this passage all month. And they traveled northward into modern-day Syria. That's where our passage takes place, in the most influential church in the whole New Testament. Uh, this church of Antioch is right next to a modern-day city we all have heard of in the news lately called Aleppo. This is where this story takes place. Uh, they spread the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and spread to the Greeks also. That was last week. Only versus also. And this church grew because of an also mentality, telling the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them. Now just stop. Oh my, can you imagine? What does that look like? And don't you want that more than anything? If eternity is true and heaven is real, don't you want heaven's hand on you when you go to school, when you go to work, when you come and gather here? Don't you want heaven's hand on relationships that matter most to you? Or would you rather say to God, oh, I got this on my own. I'd rather you not be involved. Oh, the Bible says the Lord's hand was on this church. 
And actually what we're doing all month is asking why. We'll see more today. It was the grace of God. But last week we see that, you know, you can see in that box there, they prioritized some things. Of course, God gets involved when the church prioritizes what's closest to his heart. It gets better. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Verse 22. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem. That would be the mother church. Okay, They were governing this Jesus movement. But how many of you know you can't control a Jesus movement? You can't. And so it got out of control in a good way. And so they sent one of their bishops, if you will, Barnabas, up north to Antioch. Verse 23. This is our passage. Okay, Look at this really close. When he arrived... He saw what the grace of God had done. Now, let me ask you this question, and this would be a great question just to sit in. What does grace look like? What did he see? He stepped into a gathering and saw something that was beyond natural and beyond what they deserved. None of us want to approach God based on what we deserve. None of us want to come to God and say, I was a good person. Give me what I get. None of us. We all want grace. And God's grace was so tangible, so visible. Barnabas walked in and was like, oh my gosh, God is here. His grace is all over the place. We prayed this morning that the grace of God would be visible. You know, just some ways, I can't control the grace of God, but let me tell you how I think and have experienced God's grace visible. Times I've walked into gatherings knowing nobody, not here, but visiting other churches, and someone came up and noticed me. That was the grace of God time someone looked me in the eye and didn't just hand me a bulletin but just looked at me and said welcome and smiled that was the grace of god times when someone came up to me and said hey i noticed you're by yourself um my name's gary that wasn't you know i'm I'm being fictitious but my name's gary how can i pray for you the grace of god was evident because people noticed and ministered to me i bet in here There's tons of grace that's needed. I know that's needed. I read your prayer cards. You don't read each other's prayer cards unless you're part of the 200 that sign up to do that. But we all want the grace of God. We all want to be noticed. It's part of our future, but it's rooted in our past. So he saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad and encouraged them. And here's the key aspect today. Why I believe the Lord's hand was on this church. Another ingredient you see at point two under that text box of Acts 11, he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. What we see here is they pursued the Lord with wholehearted devotion. How do I conclude that? That word appears twice in verse 23. All. It's a beautiful word in some parts. Everyone's included. It's a challenging word in some parts. No one gets to be excluded from this. All of us have to be all in when it comes to this. Let's look at this. First of all, it's quantitative. That first all should say quantitative, not qualitative. He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord. This is what got the Duke dad in my opening illustration all up in arms. Somehow he believed because his daughter went to such a prestigious university and had such intellect and he paid so much for her college education, she would be exempt from following Jesus to the extremes, to the margins. You know, as I studied the Gospels this week, I thought, oh my gosh, do I ever see Jesus giving someone an exemption to following him? Absolutely not. That's what's beautiful about Jesus. He's the most inclusive God there ever was. I want you to know today, you will not look in the eyes of anybody, anybody 
who doesn't qualify to be loved by Jesus Christ. He called all the church to follow Jesus. That means you. Why do you think, why do I think somehow I can be exempt from following him the other six days and 23 hours of the week? No, it's to everybody, okay? So do you see that all? It's quantitative. Do we all agree with that? Everyone, everyone qualifies in that all? Just, just nod so I know we're talking. Okay, good. All right. We got some clapping. I love it. My sister in Christ. Now, look at this. It's qualitative. Don't turn the page. We're still on page one. That second all should be qualitative. He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord. Here's the question I want to pose to you, honestly. And I'll say this to bully up because this is a challenge of discipleship. We'll spend the rest of our life in this. How much of our heart does Jesus get? Uh, how much of your schedule does Jesus get? How much of the time in our life, in which relationships do we say, okay, you can have that one, but not this one? He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their heart. Jesus wants all of us. Why? Because it's the only way to live. It's his grace that requires that he have all of you in me. In Luke chapter 18, the context of that passage, uh, John the Baptist was imprisoned. And the disciples suddenly, it, it even rocked Jesus. He knew it would happen, but it still rocked Jesus. After John the Baptist died, he had to get away. It was his cousin. It was his close friend. He had to process the grief of that. But while he was still in prison, Peter says, wait, wait a second. He was following you. This is what's implied in this verse. He was following you. This shouldn't happen to the good people. And then he says, Jesus, we've left, what's the word? To follow you. And what Jesus doesn't do is say, oh, you're right, I probably asked too much of you. Let me lower the standard. He never does that in the Gospels, friends. Because to do that would be to our detriment. What he does is he reframes that statement in the light of eternity, and the sacrifice becomes an investment when he does that. That, that. That's really important. When you look at your all in the context of eternity, every sacrifice you make becomes an investment when you look at it from that perspective. I'll build that out. Let's just read it. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who's left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, here's the perspective, eternal life. He builds out two important days. Today that we're living in, and that day when every follower of Christ will face Jesus. Eternity. And don't you know when you enter eternity and you see the Lord Jesus for who he is, and, and as great as Tabitha is leading us in worship, Jesus is right there, and the saints with perfect voices are leading us in worship, and you see it all, and you just go, ah, it was worth it. Don't you know you'll look back on today and go, oh, I wish I gave more of my all today in light of that day. Uh, maybe I'm the only one. I will. That's what Jesus is saying. How much does he want of you? All. Friends, all changes the world. This very weekend that we celebrate is an example of that. How much did Dr. Martin Luther King give to the cause for civil rights? 
not only his life, do you know before he died, he was imprisoned 30 times prior to death? It's Good Friday. It's 1953. You're in Birmingham, Alabama. And as in most southern states uh, and cities in 1953, bus seating, schools, parks, lunch counters, restrooms, drinking fountains, all segregated. They were only for a few elite people with a proper, as I use that term loosely, skin color. Some call Birmingham the most segregated city of the world. Uh, in 1953. As a matter of fact, its nickname in America was Bombingham because of what took place in black churches and black homes in the city. So on Good Friday, Dr. King, this is a picture of it, planned a a peaceful, nonviolent march. And when he was barricaded for the march, he knelt down and started praying, and then he was arrested. Now, while he was in jail after his arrest, uh, he got a letter, it's actually an editorial that was in the Birmingham newspaper, was written by white pastors and white rabbis. They came together and wrote an editorial calling and condemning Dr. King for his extreme protest in Birmingham, asking him, why couldn't you wait? He wrote on the corner of that editorial for a week, and that's what we have today known as the letter from a Birmingham jail. And here's what he says in that in response to why couldn't you wait. He says, as I continue to think about the matter, I gradually gained a bit of satisfaction from, for being considered an extremist. Dr. King says, was not Jesus an extremist for love? And then he quotes Jesus, love your enemies, bless them that persecute you. Was not Amos an extremist for justice? And then he quotes the book of Amos, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Was not Paul, Dr. King asked, an extremist for the gospel of Jesus Christ? And then he quotes Paul saying, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And then he says, so the question is not whether we'll be an extremist, but what kind of extremist will we be? An extremist for hate or an extremist for love? See, comfort is good. Comfort is fine, but comfort doesn't change the world. All changes the world. And that's why Jesus called us all to give all of our heart to the Lord. All. What does this mean for us now? Turn to page two, please. What does this mean for PCC? How do we live into this vision? Here it is, folks. To empower the generations to passionately follow Christ one home at a time. That's what we believe we're all about. In some ways, it's rooted in the past. We started in a home. We're returning to homes. We've always been about that. Let's unpack these a little phrase at a time. To empower the generations. Look at that verse in Ephesians chapter 4. By the way, we're a church of five generations, and only the church can gather five different generations of people to worship one Lord. And this is our best asset at PCC. Uh, My kids have had surrogate grandparents because of the generations at PCC who poured into them spiritually and physically and emotionally and relationally. It's the best, everybody. Ephesians 4 says this, so Christ himself gave, I'll give a modern day uh, translation of this, gave to PCC plus ministry pastor, people development pastor, worship pastor. God gave to PCC Tabitha, Janet, Brian, Carlos, Gary, that's what he's saying there. God gave the church pastors. 
Why? To do the ministry? No. No, 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 equivocally, no. Ah, you're wrong. <laughs> to equip you to do the ministry. Yes, 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 hallelujah, you're right. <laughs> why? Here's why. Do you know I'm jealous of you? Do you know you can take Christ to places I can't? Do you know when you're the aroma of Christ, you take Christ every day of every week to the most forsaken mission field in America, the workplace? Do you know we're the aroma of Christ and around here, 3560, it smells like Christ. People drive up Farm Hill Boulevard, oh, what's that smell? That smells really good. I mean, literally, we've had people drive off Farm Hill, drive off Farm Hill, Come in, say, I don't know why I'm here, but my car veered off. I've got it. What is going on? And we led them to Christ. Do you know that's happened? They smell Christ. But how much better when you leave here and you bring the aroma of Christ and they're in their neighborhood and they're like, oh, there's that smell again. I smell it on farm. Wow, it's here on Grandview. Oh, it's downtown. They're in the movie theater. It's bigger than popcorn. And the Christ followers are there. See, when we equip you for that, our ministry explodes. Can I get an amen? Yeah, it explodes all over the peninsula. So our job is to empower you to do that. Do you know we have people in the trades in this church who when they pull up to service a house, whether it's install a water heater or fix electricity or build a house, they pray on the street and say, God, I'm here to clear some pipes, but I pray I'd clear people's connection in their heart to you. And you know, if I knocked on that same door and said, hi, I'm a pastor, I'm just looking to pray with people, they'd shut the door in my face. But these people can walk right in and service them, and not every time, but sometimes, you know what happens? They get to pray with people and minister to people. And then they write me an email and throw it in my face, like I went where you can't go, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> we want to, this is fun, I like this. We want to empower the generations. That's you. You. Ministry's not all on us. It's on you. We're all. Remember that word? Can we just say it? All. Ministers of the gospel. Well, what are we empowering you to do? To passionately follow Christ. A man came to Jesus one day and said, okay, summarize the whole Old Testament. I can't read the whole thing. Just give me the spark notes. I just want one verse. And Jesus said this. Here it is. Look at this. It's called the great commandment to passionately follow Christ. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with what? Your heart, and with what? All. Your soul, and with what? All. Your mind, and with what? All. Yeah, all. All. Our best asset are passionate followers of Christ disguised as high school students, disguised as people in the trades, disguised as doctors, disguised as checkers at Safeway, disguised as coders, disguised as engineers, lawyers. It goes on and on and on. Our best asset are passionate followers of Christ. You know what my biggest problem is? It's not following Christ the 75 minutes in this service. That's no problem. I got that down. My biggest problem is following Christ the 10,005 minutes when I'm not in this service during the week. And we want to embrace that so every day you wake up and you go, God, I'm going to be about a worship service for you today, every day. And my classroom is going to be a sanctuary. And I'm going to do my work to your glory, infused by your power. And you just call the audible. You tell me when to pray. You tell me what to say. You tell me when to stick around. I want the grace of God to be known in this classroom or in this cubicle or whatever. It goes on and on. Just keep clapping. It'll, it'll spread. It'll spread. 
Now, how are we going to do this? This gets really good. One home at a time. In the book of Acts, you can see the early church met from temple courts to house to house. Why? Why is that? I've kind of already built this out, but everything you want here, everybody, happens better in your home. Do you know that? Everything you want in pews happens better in circles, in an interpersonal circle. For me, my home, uh, we use our home, but uh, on Tuesday mornings, my home is my small group. It's in my office here. And they take the passage, and we can interact over this week's passage, and, and we can ask questions, and we can hold each other accountable, and we can pray together. And midweek, we're calling each other and encouraging each other and, and inviting each other to grow as disciples of Christ. You can't get that here. So that leads us to this. How are we going to do this, empowering the generations to passionately follow Christ one home at a time? It comes down to this. Look at this last slide, and then we'll land this thing. We're going to invite each one of us in brand new ways to gather, grow, and give. Gather. We're going to encourage you to make Sunday a priority. And we'll build that out in the coming weeks, but that, that this gathering of the saints becomes everything God wants it to be. And I promise you what you'll get from here. You'll get the word, word of God. You'll get moments of transcendence. You'll get community with each other. We're working really hard to put that together. You'll get worship that's Christ-centered where Tabitha or whoever's on the platform will see the throne of God and say, come on, everybody, come with me. We'll worship our way there. And as we gaze in the face of God and commune with each other and are silent and pray, we'll be transformed. We're going to gather. We're going to grow. We're going to encourage you to get in groups like never before. Look, if you're like me, you're time-strapped. I know. But we all have time for our priorities. We're just going to ask you to prioritize groups because everything good that happens in here happens better in groups. And we'll source you with, with Beyond Sunday. We'll source you from the website. We'll source you with this new thing we got called Rooted. Um, we'll help you grow in groups. And then give so that every day of every moment you see yourself not as an entitled taker in life, but a giver. So that you're a servant empowered by the Holy Spirit. We'll build that out, and it'll get great. We'll tell you all about that. Let me close with this. My summer, I was on sabbatical and spent uh, some of it in Italy. And um, I had the privilege of going to some of the most amazing churches and cathedrals on the planet. Amazing. Uh, what I saw was magnificent art. What I saw was majestic architecture. Look at that domo. Tell me that is an amazing architecture. What I saw was uh, an incredible religious ritual. There was just one thing missing from what I saw from these incredible places. I never sat in a service. I just went midweek and toured. One thing was missing. With all the architecture, all the art, you know what was missing? Transformed lives. My family went on a plane and went home in Florence where we separated from the sabbatical. I went back to this place and sat on the corner where that art, that big dome is, and those little domes. I was in the corner there with my journal for about a half hour. And what I saw in hot, sweltering July heat were thousands of people lined up to go to church. I just said, oh God, could that be our problem? Waiting hours in line to go to the Domo. And after an hour coming out, and nothing was different. No one's marriage was enhanced. No one's character grew. No one left going, oh, I want to follow Christ more. And I thought about it and was journaling and said, oh, God, let that not be what happens at PCC. 
Because is it enough to walk through the doors of a building constructed with sincere desire and the, inter- uh, the earnest intent to glorify God? Is it enough to engage in liturgy of music and message and walk out in 75 minutes never engaging with another person here in a significant way around a life issue or around eternity? It's not. It's not. We need more than great architecture and 16 acres or 15 acres of land. We need wholehearted individual followers of Christ who permeate the city with the gospel. Next week, we'll tell you our next step on how we're going to do that and get very practical. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. As we reflect and think, Lord, where do you want us to give wholehearted devotion to you when it comes to gather, growing, and giving? Where's the arena where you don't have all of us? I pray as we're led in worship through our friend Chris that you would uh, speak to us around that. Where do you not have our hearts? Stop in that question, please. In what arena does God not have your heart? Don't be ashamed to answer that because the Holy Spirit's probing you because God wants to heal that. He's not here to judge you. He's here to fix all of us. Father, as we wrap this up in singing and worshiping, or maybe just sitting and being quiet around that question, gather, grow, give, where are we not wholehearted? Lord, may we repent and turn to the Lord like this Antioch church did and find in you our healing, our hope. I'm so, so excited for what you have for us in the coming days and weeks and months and years. Love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Everyone said? You've been listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church Podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com. 